Good afternoon. Welcome to week number seven in our summer series of the Gospel According to Jesus. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the wheat and the tares. It's probably one of the more well-known of the parables that Jesus told to his disciples. Uh, and it has a lot to say to us today, uh, considering the things that are going around in the world today. So let me, if you will, let me open with prayer and then we'll get right to the lesson. Oh, Heavenly Father, in these times of social and spiritual unrest, we just pray that you would give us a reverence for the truth. Uh, give us the desire both to think and to speak truly, even in the face of the world and a culture that abhors any voice that doesn't agree with the wickedness of what they're doing. Father, we ask that you would save us from the fear of being rebuked or condemned by those who would compromise and agree with evil that's being incited against the innocent. We ask that you would help us, Father, give us the strength to refuse any invitation to try and understand or see from another point of view or perspective that has at its core a sense of vengeance of, or of getting even for both actual and perceived offenses. And Father, may we always be by your spirit, uh, having our eyes focused upon Jesus intently because he is the one who's not only reconciled us to you, but he's also reconciled us to one another. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. You know, probably one of the, 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 the tiredest used phrases today, or the most uh, often used phrases uh, that you will hear on television or perhaps uh, uh, read in the paper is, is a phrase called virtue, virtue signaling. Uh, virtue signaling is one of those things that has really caught on because it speaks to uh, what the world considers to be virtues in today's culture. Uh, the Apostle Paul had a lot to say about virtue signaling, uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And let me, in one of the things that, that, uh, that Paul had to talk about, of course, was tolerance. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, thought that tolerance was not always a virtue. And so that's where I want to start today. Tolerance is not always a virtue. As a matter of fact, tolerance is seldom a virtue, but beside that, uh, we want to talk about it today in the context of the parable of the wheat and the tares. You will remember that in the, in the uh, Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, uh, Paul had been there, he had established the church, he had moved on to Ephesus in his missionary journeys, and uh, it, wasn't, uh, it was several years, actually, before he really began to get a read about what was going on in the Corinthian church. And, of course, he was highly upset about that. And he spends the, so he, rather than going back to Corinth, he pens an epistle, he pens a letter, and sends it uh, with his disciple Timothy uh, back to Corinth. The Apostle Paul, in his letter, about the first four chapters, he sort of takes them to task for all the things that he has heard about what's going on in the church. And a lot of it had to do with their tolerance of activities which Paul had already indicated to them were not activities that they should be engaging in as being people who had been born again and who were trying to, or who ostensibly were, were supposed to be trying to, to uh, 
patterned themselves after the Lord Jesus Christ. If you read all of that, sometimes it gets a little bit amusing because you can hear the exasperation, and I'm sure it's some, something like perhaps all of us have at one time or another, those of us who have children, uh, after they've done some things that have gotten on our very last nerve sometimes, we get to the point where, you know, there's this sense of, of I, I can't believe that you keep doing the things that you're doing in spite of how many times I've told you not to do that. Well, the first, about the first four chapters in, in 1 Corinthians is Paul talking to the church there about all of the things that they're doing and how incredulous he is about these things. But the one I thought was, it, it's not funny by any means, but it, it, it's one of those things, it's sort of a, a throwaway thing that Paul throws out there just to, to sort of the, the cherry in terms of tolerance. And this is in the fifth chapter, the first two verses. After Paul has gone through this litany of offenses that they have committed as, as they try to, to grow their church there, he gets to chapter 5. In the first verse, he said, again, again, after reciting all these things they've been doing wrong, he gets there and he says, It is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as not even among the Gentiles. Now, most of you, if you've got the King James, you might see the, the, the additional word in there, named. It says it's not even named among the Gentiles. Now, that, that word named was not in the original text, but I guess it was something that, that uh, they, they figured it was done in the Gentile world, perhaps, it, but it just wasn't talked about. In the second verse, he says that a man, or in the second part of that verse, he says, and this, this offense is that a man has his father's wife. A son has married his mother, or a child has married his mother, or is at least living with her. And he's also a member of the church, and obviously a member in good standing. And so Paul is just incredulous about that. In verse 2 he says, And you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. So Paul is saying that this, this, this is just so far beyond the pale that it's hard to imagine uh, for something that's not even done among the Gentiles that we're doing it in the body of Christ there. But he goes on to point out in the, in the next few chapters about Christians are not supposed to behave in that way. We're supposed to be different. However, just about any survey, whether it be a Barnes survey or whether it be a Pew survey or whether it be some other survey, most all of them will tell you that there is very little statistical difference between Christians and the rest of the world, especially when it comes to those behaviors that Paul is talking about, whether they be behaviors about divorce or whether they be about living together outside of wedlock or habitation, or whether they be same-sex relationships, or whether they be mental or emotional health issues. Well, Paul says, you, you, you can't tell us apart from the world. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. And of course, we know in today's world that there is an increasing amount of pressure that is being placed upon the church, the local church, as well as the church universal, and certainly upon individuals to become more worldly. Certainly as a church, we know that despite, it really doesn't matter what denomination you are, most churches understand that truth, that truth now has been labeled as hate speech. 
So pastors have to be very careful, or people who speak the voice of the church has to be very careful about what it says about some of the things that we have historically, you know, been rather uh, aggressive in talking about. But now there have been laws passed that says these kinds of things have said, uh, even in the, in the role of a pastor standing before a congregation, or if it's a pastor who's counseling someone, if they talk about these things, uh, then they can be, and if someone complains, that truth can be labeled as hate speech, and the pastor can be held accountable for that. That's a tremendous amount of pressure that's being placed on pastors. And I, would, and I would submit that I'm sure that there are many of them feeling that pressure have sort of mitigated uh, the kinds of things that they say. Another thing that, that puts pressure on the church is that exclusivity. And it, it, this has to do as much with individual Christians as it does to the church in general, is that exclusivity has been banned. That, that began to take shape primarily on college campuses where there would be Christian clubs. It might be the Baptist Student Union or it might be some other Christian club on campus that, that excluded non-believers or excluded some other uh, uh, population that were, by definition, not Christian. But they found themselves being banned because, again, that kind of behavior was considered to be hate behavior or hate speech. And so they, the, the, those clubs that insisted on maintaining that exclusivity of being believers only, they were banned from campus and, and, and told that they could not uh, operate on campus if they were going to have those kinds of bylaws. Even, even in the church today, and we've been talking about this considerably, and that is, is that this idea of there being a separate category of Christians, this thing called carnal Christians, is okay. It's okay if someone just says the, uh, you know, a, a prayer of confession, accepts Jesus Christ, and or professes a, a faith in Jesus Christ, and then after that does nothing else. He's a Christian, or she's a Christian, and the church says that's okay, or at least some, some people in the church say that's okay. One of the things that, that uh, uh, Paul says that Christians hardly ever do, or should not do, uh, he said in a rather oblique way, but he was saying the same thing, is that, that Christians don't normally seek to behave ungodly. Yes, they do. I mean, they do behave ungodly because we're not perfect just because we're Christians. But he says we don't normally seek to behave ungodly. It's by our nature that we behave ungodly. But he says on the other hand, there is a group of people, and those are the ungodly people who seek to behave righteously. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. In 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15, Paul tells us, or, or again sort of explains to us what Christians should be like. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. He's speaking now about us in the context of the world. Not in the context of our community per se, but in the context of the world. Christians in the world. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawliness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has, a Christ, has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? We're different, Paul is saying. So we ought to keep ourselves separated. He said, you're in the world, but you should not be of the world. And so that is what the, the point that he's going to try and make now. Now, the, 
Jesus also wanted to make the point about what we do about that, that angst that exists. Well, in, 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 in uh, Matthew, we're going to go back to Matthew. You can go ahead and flip there. It's the 13th chapter where this parable takes place. But Jesus is, is trying to address the issue about what God's word, or, or it's in God's word, what it says about the spiritual angst that exists between us and them, believers and non-believers, and what we should, as a church universal, not the local church, but the church universal ought to be doing with regard to that angst. And he tells the parable, 13th chapter, starting with verse 24. And another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then how does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go out and to gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you should also uproot the wheat with them, and let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time of harvest, I will stay to the, say to the reapers, First gather together the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat unto the barn. So what Jesus has now told a parable that again his audience would have been well familiar with the language that he's using. He's talking about the sower, of course, is, is God himself. He sows the good seed in the world. The field is the, the good seed are God's elect, those that he has determined before the beginning of time who are going to be ultimately called by him through the power of the Spirit on the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit. That's the good seed. These are people who are, who are destined, predestined, to become a part of God's kingdom. The field, of course, is, a will, is, the, is the, the, the entire world, not just your local community. It's the entire world. Obviously, the local community is included in that. But the, this is what he's talking about here. It's sort of a, a global look at this issue of wheat and tares. Of course, the enemy is Satan, the evil one. And, of course, tares, interesting... I, I, I thought this week as I was looking at this, tares are wheat that have been genetically modified. You know, in today's world, we talk about a lot of genetically modified organisms, GMO. You'll so often see that on food products. And, and in this case, uh, I, I think I'm safe in saying that tares were wheat that had been genetic, genetically modified by God to look exactly like wheat. You can't tell the, them apart while they're growing. The seed looks the same. The plant, when it grows, looks the same. The only difference is when it gets time for them to harvest or when the wheat turns and has the seed heads where the grain forms, the tares do not. So there is no fruit produced, if you will, by tares. Now, what this parable is not about, 2 John 9.11 tells us this parable is not about local church discipline. The local church discipline is covered in a variety of places within the New Testament. And so that's, that's covered. So what, what Jesus is talking about here is not about how the local church disciplines its membership, if you will. Those who are part of the body of the Christ at the local level. That's handled by other, 
uh, other scriptures and the New Testament. What it is about, you look in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 16, and we've looked at that already, it is about us separating ourselves or being separate from all of the rest of the world, not becoming like the world. Now, how should we respond? Now, all these, these particular things that I'm going to talk about now are not necessarily, you won't find them exactly as, the, as I'm going to say them in the scriptures, but they're there. One of the, one of the things, and I'm not going to go there because I, I just want it to be as, as succinct as possible with these. One of the things that, that the word tells us is that we are never to respond to non-believers by force or by inquisition. Now, we, the, the world has a history of there being religious wars, and even religious wars between believers and non-believers, as well as religious wars between other uh, particular uh, religious groups. But between Christians and non-Christians, there have been several episodes, and each time there is one, Christians come out on the short end of that. Meaning not, not that we lost per se, but we lost in the eyes of the world in terms of what took place. It, it, we, did, we were not considered to be uh, what we had hoped we were going to be. And what, what uh, we ought to be, as the word says, is that we ought to be ambassadors or emissaries for Christ. And that our behavior should be Christ-like. Another thing that we should not do as we, we look to separate ourselves from the world is that we don't do that by isolating ourselves. Now the church also has, and uh, throughout time, has there have been different uh, branches or different cults or different uh, sects that have, even of the Christian faith that have separated themselves to try and keep themselves away from the world and not to be contaminated by the world. But the Bible does not does not give warrant to that. It doesn't approve that. The Bible does say that wherever God plants you, that's where you're supposed to be. We are never any place by accident. We are never any place other than by God's providence, and that's where he wants us to be. And where we are, all, where we are is where we are to, in fact, bear fruit. I know that, that I, and I, I'm certainly many of you, have found yourself sometimes in, uh, in, in difficult places. And you wish you were somewhere else. And as a matter of fact, you would have done most anything to be someplace else. But the reality is that wherever God plants you, he has a, a, a work for you to do in that particular place. And so it's incumbent of us through prayer and through uh, reflection to try and determine what it is that God would have me do in a particular circumstance, good, bad, or indifferent, and then to try and bear fruit as an ambassador or emissary of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't isolate ourselves. There's an, there's an awful temptation, certainly in today's world. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of watching these programs where, you know, uh, people go out and set up homesteads, or they go to Alaska, or they go to some other remote place, or they buy a boat and sail around the world. Always the end is, uh, the, the, the end is to try and get away from everybody and not be contaminated either by the, the, the cares of the world or the, or the tribulations of the world. But that, that's not biblically supported. 
Another thing that we're not supposed to do is we, we don't deal with separating ourselves from the world by condemnation or enforced reform. You know, there, there's, there's nothing, absolutely nothing to be gained by. As a matter of fact, this, this uh, by force up here is, is you know, we, we tried to, uh, during the Crusades, we were going to force the Muslims in the Crusades to uh, either to leave Christians alone or to become Christians. But we can't, by condemnation or enforced reform, get anyone to be convicted of their sin and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that does that is, as the Word says, you preach the gospel. And that's all that you do. You preach the gospel. And, of course, the second thing is that the second half of that is is that you live the gospel, meaning that you live as an example of the gospel message. And so that's what uh, the Apostle Paul is trying to say. But the thing that's most important here is that I, I think is, is around this thing about tares. It's always about the fruit. As we go through life and as we're surrounded by the world, and we know that everybody, if we go into Walmart, if we go to the airport, if we go to any other gathering of a large group of people, or if we come to church on Sunday morning, and there are several hundred people or several thousand people or even a million people, we can't tell the Christians from the non-Christians. They all look alike. There are Christians, obviously, who have been predestined to become a part of the, God's kingdom. There are others who are, in fact, are, are non-believers who will never come to believe in God's kingdom. And, of course, they look just like everybody else. And so God's, God's word to us through Christ and through the power of the Spirit is leave them alone. Preach the gospel. Live as an example. But it's always about the fruit. We will know who the non-believers are. We will know who the, those people are that we need to stay away from, to, to separate ourselves from in terms of communion, in terms of fellowship. And it's always about the fruit that they bear, which I, I, I sort of want to leave you with that, that message today, is that uh, uh, we, we can, we do a lot of people watching, I know you do, uh, and, and we sometimes will see uh, folks that we, we wonder about where they stand spiritually. We don't know. We know they look like us, and we'd like to think that they believe like us, uh, but we do not know that. We have to wait and to see what kind of fruit that they bear for the kingdom. If they bear no fruit for the kingdom, then, of course, that's a problem because, as he says in, in, uh, uh, in Matthew, he says, let both grow together until the harvest, and at that time, harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather together the tares, those bundles of wheat, I mean that, that wheat which does not bear fruit, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn, into his kingdom. And so this week I would, I would encourage you to, to look, to think about, uh, wherever you are in life and whatever your, your situation or circumstance might be, as you think about what kind of fruit that you're bearing at this point in time in your life. And can it be, can, can you make the fruit sweeter? Uh, is it time to harvest the fruit? Uh, those are the things that the Lord Jesus is concerned about is, of course, is, is that when harvest comes, he's going to, judgment will come. 
and there will be a judgment made about what kind of fruit you have bared as a member of the, of the kingdom, and you will be rewarded for that. And, of course, if you have not borne any fruit for the kingdom, then, of course, there, there's that also those verses where he says, uh, uh, you know, when, on that judgment day, depart from me, I never knew you. And I hope and pray that that's not a circumstance that any of us will experience. Let me close. Gracious Father, I thank you for your word of truth. I ask that you would be with us in these coming days and weeks as we continue to be um, cautious about our health and the things that we do. Uh, give us grace in all that we do. Um, bless us as we continue to try and do your will in a very wicked world. In Jesus' name, amen.